Hello everyone, we're glad to have you back. In this episode, like we mentioned in the first episode, we will be tackling suffering. We will be following the same format, wherein each of us recites a poem from the 1600s to the 2000s, and then we proceed to talk about those poems. So without any further ado, let's begin. During the Elizabethan era, the bubonic plague was having a resurgence in England. Thomas Nash, an Elizabethan poet, wrote about the honest experience of living in a society ravaged by disease and death. This is a litany in time of plague. Adieu, farewell, earth's bliss. This world uncertain is. Fond are life's lustful joys. Death proves them all but toys. None from his darts can fly. I am sick, I must die. Lord, have mercy on us. Rich men trust not in wealth. Gold cannot buy you health. Physic himself must fade, all things to end are made. The plague full swift goes by, I am sick, I must die, Lord have mercy on us. Beauty is but a flower, which wrinkles will devour, brightness falls from the air, queens have died, young and fair. Dust hath closed Helen's eye, I am sick, I must die, Lord have mercy on us. Strength stoops unto the grave, worms feed on Hector brave, swords may not fight with fate earth still holds open her gate come come the bells do cry i am sick i must die lord have mercy on us which with his wantonness tasteth death's bitterness hell's executioner hath no ears for to hear what vain art can reply i am sick i must die lord have mercy on us haste therefore each degree to welcome destiny Heaven is our heritage, earth but a player's stage. Mount we unto the sky, I am sick, I must die, Lord have mercy on us. In the first stanza, Nash Nash starts off by saying goodbye to the world that he thought it was, realizing that in this life everyone is just a plaything of death. The stanzas following touch society, all of which are not safe from this inevitable fate. I think Nash really wants to emphasize that, at least in his time, disease did not discriminate. In the second stanza, he says, rich men trust not in wealth, gold cannot buy you health, as well as stating that fate cannot be battled with swords in the fourth stanza. In those days, vaccines and medicine weren't solid practices. When someone got sick, no matter who they were, they were likely going to die. Each stanza is seven lines following an A-A-B-B-C-C-D rhyme scheme repeating the refrain at the end of each stanza i am sick i must die lord have mercy on us i find that this refrain is really powerful nash is really emphasizing the inevitability of death by the hand of plague he begs the lord for mercy but this fate is already set in stone he quote unquote must die this poem although similar to sonnet 18 in rhyme the repetition of the refrain is something new. This refrain, along with a strict rhyme scheme, creates a tempo and a flow that is easy for readers to absorb and have stick with them, which we can see in Shakespeare's poem, along with most Elizabethan poetry. The content of this poem is more grim in contrast to the more flowery love poems at the time. In a place where people were dying with no way to stop it, I think a lot of writers use romantic and lighthearted poetry to cope, whereas Nash is facing the realities of this world head on. I think that this call to action of terrible issues is something that starts happening more and more as time goes on and poetry becomes more accessible. Okay, the poem I chose for the theme of suffering is called The Dying Child by John Clare, an English poet. Like Eliza's poem, uh, this poem is centered around the concept of death, 
It's about an infant who is inevitably going to die. But I believe the poem focuses more on life than death, despite all that. So here it is. He could not die when trees were green, for he loved the time too well. His little hands, when flowers were seen, were held for the bluebell as he was carried over the green. His eye glanced at the white-nosed bee. He knew those children of the spring. When he was well and on the lee, he held one in his hands to sing, which filled his heart with glee. Infants, infants, the children of the spring, how can an infant die when butterflies are on the wing? Green grass in such a sky, how can they die at spring? He held his hands for daisies white and then for violets blue. He took them all to bed at night that in the green fields grew as childhood sweet delight. And then he shut his little eyes and flowers would notice not. Birds, nests, and eggs caused no surprise. He now no blossoms got. They met with plaintive sighs. When winter came and blasted sigh and bare were plain and tree, as he for ease in bed did lie, his soul seemed with the free, he died so quietly. The dying child is made up of six stanzas that follow the same rhyme scheme of A, B, A, B, A, and it changes throughout the poem. I think John Clare modeled his poem similar to child's poetry uh, intentionally to focus on the main subject of the poem, which is a child. The poem starts with Clare celebrating and expressing the appreciation that the child in the poem has for all the life around him. The boy was unable to die during spring because he loved his time alive too much. The first two stanzas focus on the child's experiences as he takes in his surroundings. He was tightly knit with everything around him and despite only spending a short amount of time in the setting, the impression filled his heart with glee. The third stanza takes a darker turn as it snaps back to the cruel, cruelty of reality. The tone that John Clare uses shifts from one of happiness and enjoyment to sadness and frustration. The fourth stanza depicts the last bit of enjoyment the child is able to experience before it's his time to go. We see him treasure all the encounters that he went through as he collects all of his favorite items as tokens of appreciation before taking them all to bed at night as he prepares to face winter. The fifth stanza is a bittersweet conclusion to the boy's life. He appears to enter an eternal slumber as his time has run out. The last stanza serves as a satisfying conclusion to the poem. Although the boy's time has come to pass, he died peacefully, quietly, and with a free soul, undisturbed by his surroundings. The poem I've chosen is Piano by D.H. Lawrence. Softly in the dusk, a woman is singing to me, taking me back down the vista of years, till I see a child sitting under the piano in the boom of the tingling strings, and pressing the small, poised feet of a mother who smiles as she sings. In spite of myself, the insidious mastery of song betrays me back till the heart of me weeps to belong to the old Sunday evenings at home with winter outside and hymns in the cozy parlor, the tinkling piano, our guide. So now it is vain for the singer to burst into clamor with the great black piano of Passaniato. The glamour of childish days is upon me. My manhood is cast down in the flood of remembrance. I weep like a child for the past. The poem was published in 1918, so I am cheating a little bit because it's not from the 1800s, but I really like this poem, so here we are. Before I begin, here's a bit about Lawrence that I found relevant to our discussion. In the previous episode, I chose a Victorian poet, 
Our friend here, Lawrence, was a modernist, someone who expressed themselves in a subjective manner, involving personal experiences, whereas a Victorian depicted life in an objective and realistic manner. Even though Brown was a supposed Victorian, her poem Sonnet 43 clearly involves personal experiences and several metaphorical elements. So I found this tidbit to be a little interesting, so I thought I would share. This poem seems quite straightforward and simple, yet I feel like its words carry so much meaning and pain. We're all hit with a feeling of nostalgia and longing from a time to time. We all daydream about how things were, the people you were with, and the memories you shared with that, with treasured ones. Lawrence talks about the same kind of nostalgia in his poem, but of a more personal and painful kind. Nostalgia about childhood. A lady is singing to him and he's thrown down a rabbit hole of memories wherein he remembers his mother singing to him as a child while he gently massaged her feet. He doesn't want to think about the past because it is painful, yet despite himself, he wishes to be back in the parlor at home with mother, listening to the piano. He implies that he's not impressed with the woman singing at the great black piano anymore because his mind is... it's simply not there. He's in his childhood memories and the woman singing to him is not as good as his mother. He weeps and wants to go back to his childish days, when life was simple and the pressures and struggles of being an adult didn't weigh him down all the time. I think this poem is really beautiful, not just because of its technique, but the feelings it invokes in you. Lawrence very cleverly slithers between the present and the past in the stanzas. And that's what we do when we reminisce, don't we? We think of the past, compare it to the present, think of the past and then of the present again, and so on and on and on. He also uses semantics to drive home this feeling. Words, words like tring, tingling strings, old Sunday evenings, winter, cozy parlor, make us feel warm and nice inside because they remind us of similar times in our lives. Personally, it struck me when I read it because I will soon be leaving home and traveling many, many miles to attend university. I will soon be an, air quotes, adult. I know that I'll feel the same way as Lawrence did. I will miss my family and friends and the memories of home to the point that it does become painful at times. But so is life and Lawrence, in a painful experience, realizes that as it seems like he desperately wants to turn back time and go back to his mother playing the piano. Okay, so the poem I chose for the topic suffering from the 1900s is called Green Grapes by Lee yuk and it is a Korean poem written in 1937. And as soon as I started translating this piece, I ran into a problem because of the title Green Grapes. So I know that grapes with green color are somehow called white grapes in America, but Korean people just call them green grapes. And I personally thought that the color adjectives were pretty significant in reading this poem. So I just decided to use the word green instead of white. And here is the poem. Green Grapes by Lee Yuxa. July in my hometown is when the green grapes ripen. Tales of the village bloomed one after another. The sky of far and dream gets into each grapes and laden. As blue sea under the sky opens its bosom, and tenderly drifts in a boat with white sail. The guest I'm waiting for would come in a green robe, dragging his exhausted body. Only if I could eat these grapes when I greet him, both of my hands are good to be wet. Listen, boy, prepare a white linen towel on our plate, on the silver plates. So at the time this poem was written, which is 1937, as I said, Korea was under Japanese colonization. 
in Korea and Japan, they have been in a complicated relationship with big and small conflicts since like way back in history. And this colonization was when the conflict was at, at its peak. So thousands of people were killed by Japanese soldiers and women, including childs, who were sold as sex slaves. Lee Yuxao was an independence activist who participated in many different movements that asked for the removal of Japanese government from the Korean Peninsula. And some of the movements were armed, where these activists were just armed in guns and even bombs. And one of these kind of movements he participated, he was actually arrested by the Japanese police. And he was given the prisoner number 264. And that's actually where the pen name Lee Yuxa came from. It just literally means 264 in Korean. So now let's get back to the poem. The main theme of this poem is independence, although it is never directly mentioned in the piece. It is actually replaced or symbolized by the fruit green grapes. So fruits often symbolize a result gained at the end of a long continuous effort in Korean poems. So for example, when he talks about green grapes ripening in his hometown, he's just making a depiction of the long strenuous process of achieving independence. Then in the next stanza where he, he just starts talking about a guest he's waiting for, and the guest comes in a white boat dragging his exhausted body. The exhausted body is a reference to the tortured bodies of Koreans who fought for freedom at the time. And it was really common where people were kidnapped or arrested and were tortured until they confessed like who was in charge of the revolt. And most of the bodies of the people who died at this time were so damaged that they were impossible to be identified. While the exhausted body symbolizes the pain and torture people experienced, the guest himself represents the idea of independency just like green grapes. The guest is wearing a green robe, which is the same color with the grapes. And the color green has a lot of different meanings, and one of them is hope. By giving the same color to both grapes and the guest, he's implying that they ultimately mean the same thing, and that they are his hope or our hope as Koreans. And in the next line where Lee says, if I could eat these grapes when I greet him, he's talking about the day when independence will actually be achieved. And in the last stanza, the poem ends with Lee telling a boy to prepare a white towel for the guest. This line serves to emphasize that the guest will and have to come eventually. It shows how strongly he believed that Korea will one day regain its freedom. And I personally think this is a great poem because Compared to other Korean poems with the same theme or similar theme, it uses a much simpler metaphor and it still provides a vivid depiction of the idea of independence using symbolic colors and analogy. For my suffering poem, I chose My Dog by Matthew Zabruder, one that centers around seeing and observing someone else's pain and the pain of knowing you can't do much to help them. In this piece, the two characters are a man and his dog, like the name of the poem suggests, so I'll go ahead and read it and get my thoughts on it. Away from joy, you walk a little, missing a tooth, discussing famous black dogs on the dead chests of lovers. I just finally heard that unnoticed silence of never having one again. It's been with me all my life. I saw mine named after a god, his body laid out on the lawn, brown fur, dried blood, yesterday's wise pathos, this want to live in my body, like a dog, not knowing if stones for human deaths, then what for the other ones? In the poem, a man goes through the memories of his dog, his best friend, and the sudden realization that he no longer has him. 
I feel like this could also speak to how it feels when mourning someone or after the mourning process, when it just hits you that randomly that you truly won't see them again. I feel like that's not an easy thing to put into words, but Zapruder was able to do it without sounding sad, just more of an, an acknowledgement of the feeling. In the latter half of the poem, we get an image of what seems to be a flashback or a memory. Quote, I saw a mine named after a god, his body laid out on the lawn, brown furred, dried blood. This is obviously the narrator remembering back to the moment he lost his dog, but I'd like to comment on the named after a god line. I feel like that speaks to the good things don't last forever philosophy. It doesn't matter how above things or godly you think you may be, but we all have our weaknesses. The quote, if stones for human deaths and what for the other ones, this line is obviously questioning the value we place on losing a human life versus the lesser value that we um, tend to put on the death of other animals. And it begs the question, are they not as important or can they not hold the same amount of value to someone as another human life? And I think that's an interesting avenue to explore. Overall, the poem doesn't have any end or internal rhyme and is written in a fever style. I believe that was done purposefully just because poems that do rhyme are generally seen as being less serious or not having a somber of a tone. Um, I'd definitely say that that paired with the all lowercase letter choice chosen by Zebrudo when he published it captured the dark and somber tone of the poem. But unlike the, the poems my peers read where the historical background of the author played a major role on the subject that they thought like represented suffering the most of them, I feel like the author I chose coming from a pace of like privilege being a man from the United States around 2019, his suffering looks very different than the people who have lived through a plague or someone living during a time where living past 30 was considered a miracle or people who have had their people, like their culture, uh, culture group tortured by another. So I know his version of suffering would sound very different from someone um, from the same year, but who might be a refugee or who might live in a less fortunate country. So I feel like that would be a great avenue to explore other people's perspectives and struggles. Uh, so I just wanted to talk about the different forms of suffering that were presented throughout the poems. Uh, I know suffering is very common uh, no matter what time period we're in, but it's just interesting to see the different forms that suffering uh, resurges. Uh, you know, you have the, the plague and then through the Korean War and then other forms as well, such as a man and his dog. So I just wanted to, you know, hear you guys' thoughts about the different types of suffering that people are presented with. I feel like with my poem, at least the 1600s, like, there was this plague going on, modern medicine wasn't really a thing, but I think like like Nash didn't actually die of the plague. He died of like, I think he had like heart failure or something when he was 30. But I think his like real crisis, like in the actual suffering that takes place in the poem is just like this like inevitability of death that is just like torturing him he's watching all these people die and it's just like that's where the suffering in his poem comes from is that it's just this like unstoppable force that is plaguing him as well as his whole country eliza do you think that the your poem like you talked about how the inevitability of death is plaguing him when i read your poem i thought it was more of like a physical sort of suffering 
as if you compare it to mine because obviously mine is more, my poor my choice was way more emotional but the way you put it, it made made it seem like it's more physical and emotional so what do you what do you think I, I feel like he he doesn't really he talks a little bit about the physicality of the disease he talks about like beauty withering away um but he mostly talks about like this actual like how it is like like he's not actually dying of the plague but he keeps repeating like i am sick i must die as if like the must i feel like really is like emphasizing for me that it's this thing that he feels like he can escape and the way he like mentions all the people in society that also can escape this problem i feel like he like although he's concerned about like the, like the like the physical aspects of the plague he's not actually he's he doesn't actually have it so he's more like concerned about this like looming fear that is hanging over his head and i feel like like with your poem i feel like it's different because like it's a different kind like your i feel like your poem is a little bit more of like a yearning type of suffering like you're like the author is comparing what he once had to the present whereas like thomas nash is like oh god i'm going to die and there's nothing i can do to stop it yeah yeah i got that yeah also i think it's worthy to note that even though our topic was suffering not all the poems that we chose were sad and depressing like gabriel's poem it actually ended on a positive sort of note even though the the topic of the poem was a child's suffering which is even sadder a child's death but it's the the poet still managed to end it on a positive note so i think that was quite interesting yeah and uh i definitely i definitely agree with that because they, they're trying to in a way almost finds the positive side of suffering and it's usually very difficult but these poets are able to you know make it work and add a bit of positivity to something that's very sad i guess so isn't that what we do as well like sometimes like where life life's like getting down on us but then we do try to find some positive in it like at least at least i'm not like this you know at least i'm not dying or at least i'm not starving i have these kind of problems i guess we we do that as well sometimes yeah like try to apply like logic to it i think that's like what my poem did as well kind of like obviously you know like my dog died and that's sad but everything comes to an end so it is what it is type of yeah. thing okay so and another thing i want to point out personally after listening to anxious poem is that while poems can like differ depending on the time period it was created in like it can also be like defined by the different location and like the different culture background that comes with it cuz like basically his poem and mine aren't that like far apart in terms of the time but then like what the poets are trying to say through the poems are just completely different and i'll say lawrence's suffering described in piano is uh more personal compared to the national suffering like lee yuksa talks about in his poem So like although like we were just talking about the difference between poems from different time periods i think 
we could just still see the effect of different backgrounds and cultural contexts uh, for the poems, which I thought was pretty interesting. Yeah, definitely the context and the history behind the poem definitely matters. I think your poem was on a candor scale in a way, and mine was uh, on a smaller one. And like Eliza's was on an even grander scale because it was vague. So yeah, the history of the poem definitely comes into account when you're reading the poem. I think that also kind of relates back to like what we were discussing in the first podcast about like the context behind it. Because I feel like at least like in America, like we spoke about like the Black Plague and stuff like that. So hearing that poem, you know, I could like understand or like I could put more in context to like the feelings and stuff behind it. But like compared to Edwin's, like I like I never really um learned about like that kind of history. So it's kind of like a new thing to like take in. Also, I just thought of this, but um, so Eliza's poem is about a plague in the 1600s. I know we're in a pandemic right now, but we, it's, you're, you're not going to find poems in the plague right now, obviously. I mean, you might, I don't know if people wrote poems in the pandemic about it, probably did, but my point being that how, how it shifted, like we're writing poems about the plague and then this guy is writing a poem about his loss of his dog the thousands which is yeah i don't know um so like in the previous episode we kind of talked about how industrialization kind of changed the direction of the poetry a little bit and i think that can be said for the like the same thing here as well because if the people who were writing poetry were mostly like like upper class people like they were going to be affected by the plague, but they like probably wouldn't come into contact with it as much as most of them were quarantined at home. Like Shakespeare, he was like just kind of stayed at home during the plague. And I feel like that can kind of be compared to now, even though po poetry is like more accessible, like people have to go out and do their jobs and like work during like coronavirus and stuff. And so like, there's not a whole lot of people sitting at home like writing poetry. <laughs> because like industrialization has changed the entire framework of modern society. I definitely do agree. I mean, I feel like I see a lot of like quick expressions of like people's emotions during like the pandemic, like, you know, like put it in a tweet, like that doesn't take that long to write. But I feel like now people um, like just wouldn't have the time to like sit down and like write a whole thought out poem to like encapsulate what they feel. Yeah. Similar to the love thing, like, like we own definitions of love that in mind when selecting poems. And I feel like it kind of could play into when we were selecting the suffering poems as well. Um, like what I think, like how we, like what did we define suffering as when we were trying to like decide on our poem? Hmm. So, Eliza, did you define suffering as living in a plague? Well, I just when well, I just thought it was like relevant to now and his like his just like repetitive like inevitability of death. I was just like, dang, this guy's going through it. Um, like he's really he's really tortured by this. Um, 
like I could definitely feel the suffering when I read it, but your poem was about nostalgia. Is that how you define suffering? Yeah, I talked about it um, when I was explaining it. Nostalgia of childhood, like, don't you guys think about how stuff was in, how stuff was when you were a kid? Like, you didn't have to worry about anything. And, like, I know we're, like, we don't worry about a lot of things still because we're still students, but then we're going to start to. And I feel like I think about that a lot, especially when I look at my one-year-old nephew. He's like, all he does is sleep and eat and cry. And I don't, I can't, I don't get to do that anymore. But yeah. I definitely do miss that too. But um, like when I chose my poem, I don't know. Like when, like when I, I was first like, you know, trying to just like, oh, like suffering in the 2000s like not much really came to mind. But then like when I was like breaking down this poem about like this guy like losing his dog, then I was like, wait, but like outside of like my own bubble or like my own expectations, like people are like out here, like they they do have their own struggles or like bigger than like a dog dying. You know what I mean? So like, I feel like when I came into it and I picked that poem, I was like more in like a bubble like a bubble way of like thinking versus like after like trying to like break it down and like compare it to like other people in maybe like other countries or like other backgrounds like wow they probably would have had like more things to say on that topic yeah i'd agree and i just think that suffering as as a whole nowadays is uh takes a lot less for someone to suffer nowadays you know because back then you know people were literally you know, living in the bubonic plague and, you know, dying when they were infants. But I feel like it takes a lot less for someone from today's generation to, you know, suffer. And I think that is a big way of how, you know, suffering has changed. Uh, and we can, we can kind of see that in the poems as well. But yeah, but don't you think that people complain too easily these days? Like, they, they, say that oh I have this or I'm going through this and this and they probably are I mean I shouldn't judge but sometimes it feels like it's over the top and you shouldn't be complaining exactly. yep like you compare the suffering of today to the suffering of you know the 1600s it's going to be vastly different but also society is vastly different than it was in the 1600s like to like to like an extent it i feel like depends on where you are in the 1600s and where you are now but things are much different than they were i mean for me i mean like yeah you could look at the past and you could say like wow like i shouldn't complain because like damn they went through a plague or like wow this this and that but i mean like drowning in seven feet is the same as like drowning in 10 you know what i mean so i mean like yeah like you might have not you might not have exactly the same problems but like relatives like where you are and like where they are like it could really like just feel the same in like right, in your yeah. Space, yeah the whole like, you know yeah. I mean? like suffering is still suffering mm-hmm. i mean like me recording yeah. this at like 4 a.m i thought that was a big suffering until i read <laughs> this poem so. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, 
it's suffering to different extremes let's say yeah perhaps all right everyone that's all we have for you for this episode on suffering i hope you had a good time listening to us talk about it and goodbye